This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And this year we've been exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. And today, Ben, we we finish up with Acts. It's it's a long journey. We started the first week of January, and here we are now concluding the book of Acts. In fact, last time we were in the book of Acts, we, we had this sentence, when we got to Rome, it's in Acts 28, verse 16, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And so then we stopped, and we, we've spent a few weeks looking at the book of Romans. But now we're going to take a look at what happened when Paul was in Rome. He had been arrested in Jerusalem and went to Caesarea on the coast of Israel and there was shipped across the Mediterranean Sea and had a big shipwreck and finally made his way as a prisoner to Rome. And when he's there, he's, it says, allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. <laughs> Which one is it? Was he living by himself or did he have a guard? I guess uh, living by yourself means something different to them than it does to me. I guess it means he wasn't in a prison with bars. Um, he was in a prison that he paid for, which was his home. We see that at the very end of Romans chapter 28, that he had to pay for out of his own money, his own rented house um, that he was there. So he was in this under house arrest, basically, with a soldier there to guard him. And he, he's, got a, he's got this to wait now, because he, he had appealed to Caesar, and he wants to have his day in court before, before Caesar or maybe one of his representatives in order to prove his innocence, or at least maybe to have a chance of the gospel. But he finally makes it to Rome. And when he is there, he has an opportunity to minister to the people. Now, now Rome was quite a city back then, as, as it is today, but it was quite, quite the city then. It was the head of the Roman Empire. And he arrives, and, and he is there um, this is the moment, right? I mean, he's been looking forward to being in Rome for a long time. What, what do you think's up with Paul as he as he gets there? Like, you think he's like a little kid the night before Christmas, you know, or is is he anticipating like something exciting, or like, no, this is just another day of uh, at the office in, in his world, you know, of ministering to people. Uh, get inside him a little bit, and you know, I, you know, I'm I always ask you to psychoanalyze these people, but <laughs> you know. Like, what do you anticipate happening in, in Paul's world at this time? Yeah, I think he was probably excited. I mean, if anybody's ever longed to, to go somewhere or to, to be somewhere, um, or in Paul's case, not just be in Rome, but be with the brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome, to minister in Rome, is something that he has longed for and looked forward to. And now he finally has the opportunity uh, to be there. So, so no doubt. He, uh, there, there's probably been some, uh, anticipatory, um, excitement and, and now that's, uh, that's fulfilled. When you have a big anticipation build up about going somewhere and then you finally go, does it usually like exceed expectations or like meet them or is it a disappointment? Like it just didn't measure up to what I guessed it would be. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there have been moments when I have been just in, intensely excited about about going somewhere and then that you know that trip that journey whatever didn't necessarily measure up to to what expectations uh 
were. Um, but that that being said, what's um, one of them that exceeded it? My mine was would it be uh, one of them would be the our trip to Israel at least, and I put off until just a few years ago. We you know after multiple years of of life and marriage together and raising lots of kids, and we didn't have the money for it, and that exceeded it for me. That was more than what I my guess. So what's one for you that was like this trip was. I'll tell you the the trip that exceeded all expectations for me was when I went to Beijing. Um, that I I loved, <laughs> I loved being in Beijing, and and maybe part of it was I I kind of had low expectations for what that trip uh, would look like. You know, I was excited with the group of people that I was going with and the opportunity to spend time with them, but I didn't anticipate enjoying my time there as much as I did. And uh, had a great, great time there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So Paul arrives in Rome. He'd he'd been looking forward to this for a long time, and he finally arrives, and he is placed under house arrest with a guard. Let's pick it up in verse seventeen. We're in the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts twenty-eight, verse seventeen. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He usually goes into the synagogue, but he can't because he's under house arrest. So he brings the synagogue to him. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people, the Jewish people, or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So right away, he, he sets out to meet with the, the people that are leaders of, in the local Jewish community, the local Jewish synagogue, the there were probably quite a few who lived in in Rome. And he, he starts with them. It doesn't say that he started with the Christian believers who were there, but with the Jewish leaders who were there. And I, I assume they were the the people who were part of the Jewish community, not not the Messianic Jews who would have believed in Jesus. Um it's a he, he seems to do that a lot. And and even even here in Rome. He does that. He starts there because he so wants them to acknowledge Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the hope, he says, the hope of Israel. He, he wants them to, to express their faith and to embrace Christ as their Messiah, but the, the Lord of their lives, too, to change their lives. And that is his, his hope for them. And he's doing it here to the very, very end of, of the book of Acts, at least. It's a pretty cool picture of, of Paul and how he is sharing his life with them. It goes on, verse 21, they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, any, from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. That would be the sect of Christianity called the Way at, 
at that point in time. So it was spreading around the world. They were knowing about it. They were hearing about it. They were hearing what Paul was doing. They were hearing uh, about the faith, and they wanted to hear it from Paul's Paul's own lips. So he has this moment at, at the very beginning of his stay in Rome to meet with them, and it had to be a it had to be a special moment, do you think? Yeah, yeah, and I think the fact that they were agreeable uh, to meet with him, and and not only to meet with him, but they were genuinely curious uh, about what Paul uh, had to say. And I and I love like Paul's approach there because you know initially in in his initial meeting with them he he wants to reassure them that hey I I didn't do anything uh, I didn't speak ill of the the the, the Jews our, our brother Jews in in Judea I didn't do anything to stir up trouble against them they brought charges against me um, but yeah the willingness that we see there's there's not that kind of like you know vitriol against Paul from the Jewish community in Rome. Instead, there's a genuine curiosity because they want to know uh, more about what Paul has to say. So so Paul is ministering to them right here in this moment, in this time, and they wanted to hear more. So it says um, down in verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers, they told their buddies, to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he's bringing the Old Testament, the New Testament all together. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Verse 25, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to the people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understand. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So he's quoting here from Isaiah and letting at least the ones know who refuse to believe that, yeah, we knew that some of you wouldn't believe because that's what the the Old Testament said. It's what the prophet Isaiah said, and that some of you would would not come on board. But it didn't. It that kind of thing never dissuaded Paul. Like he he was he was in it, and he was whether or not he was a success or a failure from the world's perspective of those things, whether he's free or in prison or whether people agreed or disagreed or believed or or disbelieved or whether they embraced him or persecuted him. He seemed to have this this part of him that said, I know what I'm called to do, and I'm just going to keep doing it. And that's that's a pretty special trait, I think, to have, for him to have, because he was in the Roman Empire. But it's actually not a bad one for all of us if, if we would embrace that. I, I think in particular of, of church leaders or pastors that might get discouraged when not everybody is, is buying what they're selling and, and when not everybody in the congregation is, is on board with that. I also think of people in the, in the faith 
who might get discouraged because they invite somebody to come to church or they share their faith, and that person kind of pushes them away and says, no, I'm not interested in that, or, or don't, don't push religion down my throat. There, there seems to be not that sort of resolve in all of us that Paul had. How, not just where did it come from. It came from God. I mean, God's calling his life. But how do you think he maintained that through all of these things we've, we've discussed this year in his life, through beatings and imprisonment and shipwrecks and all, all these things? And then beyond that, there's people saying, nah, we're not, we're not interested. To continue to press forward to the very end and say, this is what I'm called to do, whether you're in it or not. So what is it about Paul that did that? And how can, what do you think, how can we appropriate that in our own lives? Yeah, I think there's like this, uh, A, you know, Paul's motivation comes, comes from uh, God himself. So as, as Paul has experienced God's redemptive love, God's grace, Paul wants others to know that. And so that compels Paul um, and drives Paul to go and to share the gospel with others. And I think that there's like kind of this dual aspect, though, to the rejection, because on one hand, there is the grief that Paul uh, experiences because of the rejection, especially from his Jewish brethren when he experiences that. And in Romans 9, Paul, Paul opens uh, that chapter and says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And so there is a legitimate grief with the rejection that Paul, it's not that he's being rejected, but that Christ is being rejected. There's legitimate grief that Paul has from that because he longs for his, his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, to come to know Jesus, to know that the Messiah promised in the prophets, you know, and throughout the Old Testament, this is who he is, and he desperately longs for them to know Christ. The other part of it is, is he's just never discouraged um, from the standpoint that um, it doesn't, again, what conditions his heart isn't the rejection he experiences. What conditions his heart is the acceptance that he's received from God through Christ, and he wants to so desperately make that known. And so to that end, he is not one to 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 give himself over to discouragement. Um, he just simply longs to be faithful to the to the mission that Christ has set out before him. So he he says to these Jewish leaders in verse twenty eight, chapter twenty eight, verse twenty eight. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they'll listen. <laughs> and that's like, there's that that fortitude just to say it right to their face. I mean, what are they going to do? He's already, you know, you got a Roman guard there with him. That poor Roman guards, you know, they, they had to, they had to, uh, not poor one, but they're blessed by hearing this gospel message time and time and time again. In fact, we see that in verse, the final two verses, verses 30 and 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So it's, you know, he was, it's a good thing he wasn't in the inner cell somewhere in solitary confinement because 
he people could come and go, and they did. Jewish people, Christian people, all kinds of people that were coming and going, no doubt, including the Roman guards who were there watching after him on each shift. You know, they um, they got to be be with him and hear this gospel. I always wonder how many of them might have really embraced the faith watching this man who was for two years under arrest continue to have deep faith in Christ and want nothing more than others to to see that. that that's a that's a pretty cool part of the book of Acts. I, I want to get hit this a little. It ends to me in a weird way. It just stops there. But it wasn't the end of it. I mean Paul did a but a bunch of stuff when he was there in this in this imprisonment. This is his first imprisonment in Rome. And he wrote the prison epistles. We've already talked about those, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, uh, is it believed? And, and even after release from after this first imprisonment, he, he, um, he did more activity and traveled and wrote. And then he got imprisoned again and was eventually executed like a decade later or something like that, wasn't it? Um, so there's a lot that happened. Do you have any knowledge? I, I just don't remember if I ever had this. Like why it ends there? Did did Luke send in his manuscript? I mean, or did Luke die, the author of this, in a, it, along the way somewhere? I just don't remember. Like it just seems like it ends in a weird place when Paul's life is not done. And and the last half of the book of, more than the last half of the book of Acts is about Paul's life uh, largely. And it just stops there with this. Uh, What's what's the deal? I just don't remember. Yeah, I would actually argue that the overarching theme of Acts, um, while we see you know uh, Peter and John at the very front end, we see Paul through you know three quarters of the book itself. The the overarching theme of Acts aren't the missionary journeys. The overarching theme of Acts is be my witnesses, and and to that end, there's this beautiful bookend. Uh, to the book itself, because, you know, it starts with, you know, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, now Paul has in many ways, having gone to Rome, he's gone to the ends of the earth. And if we think about that opening, that part of that opening passage uh, in Acts 1-8, um, thematically, um, there's this, the, the, ver- the final verse in, in Acts, the final two verses in Acts, you know, for, for as you just read, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And in the final verse, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so the, the book begins with Jesus's instruction to be his witness, uh, to bear witness to him. And then the book of Acts concludes with Paul very much doing that in Rome. But some of the early church fathers wrote that he traveled to Spain, and that would be further toward the end. I mean, Spain was the ends of the earth in their world because they didn't know anything was beyond the ocean there. And, you know, I, I don't know if those early church fathers were right or wrong in in um, saying that he, in writing down that he traveled to Spain and he, he went there. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's one of those curious questions to me. It it just stops. And yet he did more 
and he traveled more places. And so going back to some of the places he'd been, apparently going to some new places. And it ends. So I didn't know if maybe if there was like a thing like, yeah, I hear you on that because this is it. It, it the ends of the earth. And Rome represents that as the, as the seat of the Roman Empire represents this grand spread that would take the gospel way beyond that. And so perhaps that's the reason it stops. Yeah, it. And that, that's the beauty, though, for me. You know, I love, you know, my, my wife, when we go see a movie together, she loves movies that are wrapped up in a bow, right? Like at the end of it, you know, every, every question is answered, everything. I love when there are open-ended uh, questions at the end of a movie or where things are not right, resolved. Right. I, I love it because in my mind, that, that's just life. That's, that's just the way it is. And one of the things I love about Scripture is that the whole of Scripture, there are questions that are constantly, as a reader of Scripture, there are questions that constantly come to the forefront of your mind as you're engaging with scripture that are just left completely unanswered, whether that has to do with the the life of somebody who who was prominent um, in a, a particular place in scripture, and there's like what we would call gaps, you know, that are not clearly defined in their life about what they what they did, because um, there there really isn't much that we can really draw on between this time and Paul's second imprisonment, and uh, that 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 narrative really isn't fully encapsulated anywhere. We kind of just see Paul in prison again, eventually, you know, writing to, to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy and, and kind of chronicling a few things as he's preparing, like offering these final words to Timothy really before he, he dies. Um, but that's like one of the, for me, like one of the beauties of scriptures, it raises uh, in some ways those questions. And it, it's a reminder to me though, also that the the intention of scripture isn't to answer every question it isn't to chronicle uh the narrative of of every person's life that would that would be, require a lot of ink i guess but it really it's just to it, i mean the the hyper focus of scripture is god's redemptive narrative and so there's so much that surround you know and that's where the scripture itself focuses in on and so, yeah, there are those moments, I mean, right off the bat in, uh, you know, in Genesis when Cain kills Abel and then is sent away and Cain is panicked because he, you know, he's worried that people will kill him. And people ask me all the time, well, who, you know, was Adam and Eve? It was Cain and Abel. Who are these people that are all over the place? You know, I don't, I don't know. God doesn't answer that question. And that's where there's the opportunity, I think, sometimes to live in the tension of the questions that innately we're going to to wrestle with or that are going to come to mind as we read scripture and yet to entrust ourselves to God's overall redemptive work. You've just described the difference between my bachelor's degree at Purdue University and my master's degree at Duke Divinity School. Um, it, it, <laughs> I was a math major at Purdue and and all the all the questions had an answer. Uh, when you're when you're taking math and computer science and physics and chemistry and biology and, and those things that there's an answer to everyone. And when I got to seminary, um, I realized like, here, take this ink pen and, and this little book and just write what you think they meant by this. And I, that, 
that was a different kind of, of learning for me. I was talking to Lisa and Abraham about this last night a little bit, that it was a, it was a leap for me because my brain is naturally wired to, I want to know the answer and I want to, I want the answer to things, but I, I love open-ended things. I love that, but I do want to, to know the answer. And that's, I'm a, I'm a very left brain analytical. In Absolutely. My and, and that's the, but that's part of the beauty of, of the word is like the answers that we need. God is crystal clear on crystal clear. And, and that's really the, the beauty of, of the word itself, because God provides complete and utter clarity um, as to how we get to Christ, all the Old Testament that points to Christ, and then the work of Christ in our lives and, and what that means uh, for us in our relationship with God, what that means for us in our relationship to others. And, and those things God is, is super duper uh, clear on. So speaking um, of crystal clear and definitive answers, the last four weeks, we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. So we're going <laughs> to... Hey, I, I, went, I went to the uh, seminary uh, for my master's degree that specialized in the book of Revelation, and uh, many of them... Um, is Jesus going to come back to Dallas? Looked, is, that, is that the they might have spot? they might they might think that uh, I don't I don't know uh, but they uh, yeah they they believe that they saw that uh, crystal clearly I don't well, know but they they were they're they're yeah they're they're pretty certain about things as to Revelation I'm not quite as certain yeah so we're we're gonna dip into that the, the last four weeks of this this year is going to be dedicated to looking at, at revelation and we're, we're going to give it a shot, you know, it revelations, uh, hard, but I hope that you listeners can come back and join us for, for those in the month of November, because we're going to wrestle with some stuff there that, and back and forth, maybe a little bit and things that we are trying to process ourselves and, and all of that, because it's an important book of the Bible. And so we, we, uh, don't want to leave that out. I mean, it's not really addressed anywhere in the book of Acts. We, I, I put it at the end uh, as we've done this. However, some of the places we've already become familiar with, like Ephesus, for example, where, where Ephesians was written. So we're going to take a look at that these last four weeks. So hang in there with us in the month of November, and we will look forward to doing that together. Until then, continue to grow in your faith as you are looking and reading at Scripture. If you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link, and then you can get right up to speed on the daily Bible readings and devotions and these podcasts and the sermons and all the things related to this year-long study. Until next time, may God bless.